Jenny. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, good, good. What happened to you is the name of your podcast. Yeah. I hope you, do, you, do you have all year? I have as long as we'd like to go. <laughs> I decided to go live for my followers. Sebastian Scales, is that, what's your name on um, TikTok? Yeah, it's just Sebastian Scales. Of course, hey. my sister's name. <laughs> just no problem at all. Hey, Suni, how are you? How are you? <laughs> hey, Scumhe, how are you? <laughs> Where, where is this airing? Just all over the internet. Don't be calling me scumhe then. <laughs> God. Can I air my TikTok live? Of course. So Chinhee said she's uh, she's live as well. So we're gonna have this is this is pretty cool. We're gonna have multiple people live streaming the podcast on TikTok. I love it. I've only done a couple of uh three person podcasts, so this is this is pretty exciting. How did that go? Well, um, but I haven't done it with twins before, so I feel like there's you guys are going to be communicating in ways that I might not pick up on. So bear with me if it takes a little while. But, yeah, we uh, have our own little language. <laughs> for sure. This is basically a totally open podcast. I'm pretty familiar with your guys' stories from watching your TikToks and things like that. I was also molested, experienced some child abuse, so I'll be chiming in with some questions related and... Uh, other than that, you know, it's like pretty much completely open. So however you'd like to tell your story is great. You guys have any questions before we get started? Uh, we should have like a molesting club. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just such a market for it. It seems like everybody's been molested. Like, it's just like crazy. Yeah, but what's what's amazing about you, Sebastian, is that you're a guy who's been molested and who's so open and expressing it. It's like... You that you are like a major inspiration because more guys need to be like you. Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate that. It's it's one of those things where it's like it feels like nobody really knows the extent that this happens to to men or women. It's just like this thing that's been forever brushed under the rug and so many people are uncomfortable talking about it. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's something about this, you know, the masculinity aspect, it, I think sort of adds to it. But I feel like regardless of gender, it's just so hard to talk about in the way that we normally approach these topics. So that's why with stand up and things like that, you know, it's I'm trying to find ways that make it easier for people to talk about it. And humor is certainly one of those ways. I haven't yet been able to find humor in it. But how would you approach it in that way? I mean, I admire you for doing that. I would love to be laughing about my shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see what happens on the podcast today. Maybe by the end of it, we'll be having some jokes. Who knows? (laughs) I uh, I think part of it was that I always felt like... So I went to trial when I was 11. I told my parents when I was 10. I got trial? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was... Wow. What's that? You got justice? No. no. Are you serious? Yeah, it was a hung jury. So six people said that he did it and six people said that he did not. Stop. Yeah, and like in our judicial system, you have to have 12 people. uh, And like it's impossible to get 12 Americans to agree on anything, let alone like child molestation. So um, no, he did not get convicted. Uh, All we got was a restraining order, which is pretty standard for molestation cases just because Uh there's like rarely any evidence. It's just like... Yeah. You know, obviously kids, why would you lie about this? But for our judicial system, it's it's not enough generally. So, yeah, I, I feel like when I was talking about it as a kid, whenever I would bring it up, I like you see people's reactions to it. And oftentimes, like you feel bad about making people feel bad. And I would feel yeah. like guilty for even bringing it up because I don't want to make you feel bad for me or just bad in general. So, I found that with stand-up, like, it's a lot easier to talk about this when the people that you're talking to are laughing. And, like, it's not that they're laughing at you. They're laughing with you at the absurdity of it and, like, the thought process and what was going on in our heads and things like that. And these conversations on this podcast, it's not like the whole time we're laughing. But I find laughter to be a good introduction and a way to sort of, like, alleviate the intensity of the conversation without like diminishing the significance of it everyone processes it differently though you know it's like there's certainly no right way to do it if we don't laugh the whole time that's completely fine too you know just like literally no pressure oh, we'll be laughing. 
Well, I'm sorry that you didn't get the justice that you deserved, but at least you're like, I just feel like you're so much, you know, you're very inspiring to all of us because of how you're dealing with it. So, yeah. Thank you. It would have been awesome for him to get convicted. But at the end of the day, like, I just didn't want it to happen anymore. And ultimately that speaking up got me out of the situation and hopefully prevented him from molesting kids further you know once he once you have one strike like i feel like if somebody else accused him he'd probably have it'd be tough for him to be like no i swear you know so i think that it did have some sort of a prevention for it was a deterrent for this guy moving forward so there might not have been like legal uh justice in that way but i think there was some societal justice and people were definitely aware because there were like a bunch of articles written and things like that so the town knew Um, really the best thing we can do as you guys know is just talk about it so that's why i'm so grateful to have you both here today and um without further ado what happened to you two thanks for having us thank you for being Um, well it all started at two when we stepped foot into um onto american soil i don't know if we would have been better off in korea or in or here no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got like definitely molested in Korea too. At, at two? Well, that girl that like dropped us off, she was like, she threw us at our parents. Like she didn't want us to go. Who is this? The lady that gave us to our parents from the foster home. Remember the one that was on the plane with us? I don't remember her. I don't remember a thing at two. We had an escort at two years old to come to America. Yeah. I had some flashbacks about her. Oh. I don't remember everything, but all I know is it's men and women with me. So I'm like effed up because of that. This is so interesting, too, because it's like with traumatic experiences, our memories are always like very shaky and like it's hard to put things back together in your head. And you probably both remember, I mean, clearly different aspects of this. Anyway, we we can get into that. The difference between Soonhee and I is that soon he blocked her stuff out for quite a while because it happened once or twice and when you say it um what do you mean so uh just starting from the beginning here so you guys were in uh foster care or what happened like right before that oh we were in foster care um our mom our korean mom she put us up for adoption after hanging out with us for two years. Who does that? How could you give some give away two kids after hanging out with them for two years, watching them have diaper rashes and probably lactose intolerant, you know? We didn't even have diapers. We were so poor, remember? She oh. said we never wore diapers. <laughs> so all I know is that the foster home, let's see, I got I got slapped all the time. I was like totally malnourished. We, when we got to America, we looked at hot dogs and peeled them. We thought they were bananas. <laughs> um, and then we had this huge welcome because we were the first overseas children to be adopted um, in the 70s. So, of course, it was some big shenanigan and welcome party at JFK Airport. And someone pushed me at the airport and I had a big ball of purple, black and blue on my head because she pushed me and um, to America with a black and blue head. (laughs) That's a tough introduction. (laughs) So what happened after that? (laughs) I would start feeling like I was a guy. Like, I'd have visuals and dreams. Like, I was a guy having sex with a girl. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I did not understand because I was so young. But what I didn't know was that I was picking up, like, clairvoyantly what was going on with my sister. Wow. So so what do you mean? Like, what exactly, um, how did this all start? So my father, there was a big age gap with him and my, our mother, the, we had an Irish mother and an Italian father adopt us. And they were like almost 20 years age gap. So I think it was like 16 or 17 years age gap. And um, he almost got denied to even adopt us. But then because of his connections and money, he was able to get us. I'm pretty sure we had some good times from like age two up until four. 
And then that's when the abuse started. I don't really remember many good times. I yeah, just kind of hard. A bunch of fake sugar candy, like <laughs> boiled with fake sugar candy. <laughs> I remember in stupid twin outfits, like plaid and geranimals and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, we remember like bits and pieces of like um, going on vacation, getting gifts. It was always gifts, but um, our because soon he had such a big mouth. Our father couldn't ever. Our father, the I don't even like calling him father. I like calling him a hole. Is that okay? That's <laughs> it's so okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it it just makes me sick. He doesn't deserve that title. So, um, I was pretty much his girlfriend. Let's put it that way. From like age. I'm pretty sure it was like four to 14. So I was always in the bathtub with him in the shower. And I think he would try to like, if my sister would like try, would, would come in and see anything happening, he would throw her in the closet and and keep her in there for hours. Wow. Other times she would be like either, you know, she was always scared of him. So she would always like be, um, under the bed, everywhere. Just it was a very um, weird scenario in our house. It definitely didn't look like what the outside portrayed. Of course, yeah, it never seems to. I mean, the same situation with me. The guy who molested me was like a pillar of the community. You know, everybody trusted this guy. Oh, he yeah. coached all of the kids and soccer and stuff. So that that's pretty standard. And so you probably got a lot of people that didn't believe you. Well, at least there were at least six jurors who didn't believe me. That's for sure. Yeah, I think most of the most of the town did. I think for most people, they it's it's easy to look at a scenario like that and be like, kids have no reason to say that this happened. Like, I have no. It was my best friend's dad who molested me, and like, I have no reason to say that he touched my dick other than touching my dick. You know, like, there's no <laughs> motivation for it. So. I think it just, uh, you know, generally people who don't believe you have like their own issues that they have internalized and you speaking up is causing them to deal with their own emotions that maybe they don't want to. Maybe somebody that they love was accused of something like this. And, you know, it's generally unrelated to you. But, yeah, there were definitely people who still associated with the guy who molested me. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, we didn't uh, tell people until later and. Um, no, my sister was so like, because my dad used to also drug my sister when she was like, like around four or five, like from four on, he would drug her with, he would drug her with Benadryl. That's why I couldn't remember it for so long. But like, we're sitting in Manhattan and you're telling me at the age of what, 27, that you, you, that dad is a Hester molester. And I was like, what? Like Lee, I, it was it was it was 21. You really don't remember stuff. Let me tell tell the story, okay? Oh, when you told me and it really sank in. Oh, I went home, <laughs> threw a phone at him. I dragged him out of his bed. He was shaking, and 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 like I I just I grabbed my bag and I slapped it, slap I slammed it on his head. I was like, and you're lucky you're not dead right now. Like, I was so mad. Like, I, I literally couldn't help him then. So I did get a little bit of, like, anger out on him, but... <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, yeah. Like, it still doesn't... It doesn't re... It's not going to take back our peace of mind, our... Yeah. I'm more sensitized because I literally just had my last flashback at 48, Benadryl, being drugged, and then being totally not just molested, but like full-blown sex. And I saw the visual. I saw the shower. I saw everything. I would tell my sister everything that went on, and she just couldn't even digest it. Because at the time of 21, when I was finally able to talk about it, I couldn't talk about it until I was 21. Mm -hmm. Because my own mother went against me. She didn't believe me. Um, I actually wrote up a piece on, um, I can't remember what the heck's it, the name of it. It's a survivor type of um, yeah. organization. Mm -hmm. And I, everyone, you know, I was writing about my mother who 
knew something was wrong with me because I was absolutely a zombie because he would, he was sexually abusing me from like age four to 14 while I was going to school. So it's like, I couldn't even get up for school sometimes. So my mom knew something was wrong with me. She kept ignoring it. And then finally one day, like when I was around 11, she come or 12, she comes into the bathroom while I'm sitting in the bathroom, like a zombie jams her finger up me and says, you fucking whore. Whoa. Yeah. This is what a narcissist mother we had. She totally went against us. Did she do that uh, because she had found out about what was happening? She, was, she had suspected something was going on. Mm -hmm. So her way of finding out wasn't simply talking to me. Like, that's why I couldn't say to talk about it to anyone. Yeah. My own mother didn't even believe me. So it's like I, I was holding that shit in all the way up to 21. Finally got to my sister and I just like regurgitated everything. I, I, I couldn't even hold it in anymore. I, and she couldn't digest it because she had no, she had um, blocked everything out. But I literally told her everything that happened to her and to me. And it was just crazy, the whole process, because... You know, you, that's why I'm like so in awe how you dealt with it because you were able to express it and, and get it out. I totally held everything in. My sister blocked shit out. And it's just amazing how all of us victims handled, handled it. It's so tough too when you do try to speak up or like your biological or your adoptive mother found out and it's like, okay, this is what happens when people know. So I definitely don't want anyone else to know about this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Could not tell anyone, even my girlfriends, my relationships. Of course, I could never even have a relationship due to my issues. As soon as as soon as the relationship would get intimate, I was effed up, literally. Right. The world works or the spirit guides work. Before my sister even told me she got molested, I'm in, in Manhattan and I'm running around. And I meet all these girls and I'm like, and they're like drawn to me for some reason. They like come over and just start chatting with me and I'm like chit chatting. And the next thing you know, I hear them saying, oh yeah, my dad molested me. And I'm like, whoa, TMI, man. Yeah, so I would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was just like hugging all these women and, and being so sad. Like I was so drained and crying for them. What am I, a, a sexually, a sexual abuse survivor magnet like i didn't understand <laughs> and then like shortly after my sister sitting there telling me yeah dad molested i was like what i could not believe it i'm like so that what? happened actually before you spoke up Jinny. Yes. so it there's something going on energetically there then where it's like you're both getting to this point together where you're like hey i'm ready to hear this information hey i'm ready to say the information and people around you just start gravitating towards that i feel similarly Especially when you start posting that content on TikTok, I mean, you get exposed. I mean, so many people have been molested and obviously everyone has some form of trauma. So it's like you start being vulnerable and authentic about these experiences and people who are looking for that sort of energy gravitate towards it. And especially on TikTok, when you can reach a million people in a day, it's like all of a sudden you start becoming this magnet and, and vice versa. You know, I get exposed to people like you and maybe we gravitated towards each other. But um, yeah, whatever. I feel like you, I feel like you're like a brother. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, normally I, mean, I get we get asked to be on podcasts and I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going on Sebastian's. Like this one's definitely gonna is is interesting to me. Well, I feel very fortunate to have you guys on here. I just posted um a video because I'm slowly posting videos about our abuse, and I want to really get out there because of our psychic and mediumship abilities. And Sebastian, you definitely have been sensitized and definitely have psychic and mediumship abilities too. Just want to let you know oh. because of that. Thank because you. of that trauma, you are definitely you're a part of your the part of the brain that we use. You definitely use that part. I don't even think you may realize it, but I'm just letting you know. You know, the more the older I get, the more I sort of am interested in energy related techniques, whatever that may be. You know, for example, like I was so skeptical of like um, 
you know, astrology and things like that for a long time. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, okay, if the moon moves the tides and I'm made of water, surely it has some sort of an impact. Like it, it probably massive if it can just move the oceans constantly, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I definitely would be down to explore that. We'll have to touch base post podcast and see if we can do some training of some kind. Um, definitely. I would love to. Um, yeah. You'd be easy to train. You would, you're a healer, Sebastian. Yeah. You're definitely a healer. Thank Let you. me tell you, you're going to, I'm sure you've, um, you've noticed that you attract women who have, who need to feel safe. I, it's it. it's funny you say that because I've gotten to this point now where obviously this podcast is like one of the main things in my life. So I'll be on a first date and and somebody will be like, so like, what do you do? And I just immediately I'm like, well, I got molested. I have this podcast. So you're like 10 minutes into the date. It's like, you know, the most intimate thing about me. And so it creates this really interesting environment where all of a sudden it's like, I'm not afraid for you to know this. So you can feel that. I think we pick up on that energetically that like, I'm not going to judge you for whatever you went through. So all of a sudden we're like, just right in the, like, you know, the deepest possible level of like our trauma, on like, you know, 15 minutes into a date and it makes for some pretty wild uh, interactions, but have it any other way, you know, but I do want to ask well, you guys, like, do you remember like how this stopped um, when you were 14? Yeah. Um, so I was like getting physically affected by it. I was having like issues health wise. At 14, I joined volleyball and I, I had a best friend and I literally like practically lived over there. When my mom found out she and she went against me, she pretty much her him and her started they started fighting all the time. And she actually got sick with cancer. So at 14, that's when it stopped because she got sick. I was out all the time. My sister was, oh my God, she was like in her own world. When um, my mom was sick with, she was, she got diagnosed with a rare form of skin cancer. We had to go to New York city. A year later, she, she, she just got worse within a year. And then ended up dying while I was out of the house. Yeah, I couldn't be around her. But like, I didn't know that then. You know what I mean? I'm like, are you coming? Hey. Hello? Okay, no. <laughs> Smoke some more. Get over here, Miss Pothead. I was like, hurry up. Like, do something. <laughs> pot, pot saved my life. Did it really? I, I mean, I certainly have an affinity for it. Uh, how did that how did that impact you? Oh my God, pot, like me, I was smoking like morning, noon, and night because I just couldn't deal. I didn't want to even be conscious. Yeah. So I was literally pot was making me calm and because I had the worst anxiety. So pot was pretty much my savior because I would just get so stoned that I would be like in another dimension. And that's where I wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? As soon as I started coming back this dimension i was like no no i yeah. can only take this dimension for so for so like small doses like you know <laughs> <laughs> the molesters what's that we forgot to include the other molesters oh yeah who oh, <laughs> me in. we didn't get to that part yet we had a summer nanny wait sebastian did you notice that that when you were molested that you attracted other predators Mm -hmm. oh, oh my god i was thinking about this the other day i was talking to my yes, friend so who was it's so interesting because my friend um he was molested uh by a priest he thinks uh that's what he remembers is like bits and pieces of molestation oh, from wow. a priest and um he ha was talking about how like he'll go out to bars and he'll attract people that are very physically aggressive with him oh, and, wow. you know, people who don't know him at all and he's like i feel like i'm giving off some sort of an energy that is like we are we do uh, yeah like a, a victim energy or something and i didn't have any experiences other than the molestation sexually that were like unwanted or anything but i feel like i'm very aware of what people want from me quickly like 
even if somebody isn't necessarily like touching me, I feel like with eye contact and maybe this is everyone, but I do feel a particularly heightened awareness about like, oh, this I don't I don't know if you're trying to molest me right now, but like, I don't think I want to be around you, you know, it's true. It's true. We we give we have that. Um, it's not a victim energy. It's a it's a sexual victim energy. Mm. And we attract aggressive and predatory predatorial people a lot of the people that are were attracted to us were either sex addicts just wanted sex interesting you know? yeah did you, you didn't notice that you could look like shit and still get hit on <laughs> people have told me that it's like they feel instantly i'm either like a nympho or i'm so sexual and i'm like no they assume it because they're feeling a vibe when you're exposed to these things sexually, like w- obviously way earlier than you should be, I, oftentimes we develop like hypersexuality or different tendencies, coping mechanisms, maybe trying to like feel a sexual experience that isn't the thing that we had experienced for so long when we were kids. So I've been trying to be, be aware of like, okay, what do I really want from this experience? And if it's something that's like an ulterior motive, other than like just wanting to be with the person and like enjoy this time that we that we're spending together sexually or just hanging out if i feel like there's this other sort of void i try to not act on it and just sit with the feeling and use that feeling as like an opportunity to go deeper into the healing that i still need to do like hey there's still a part of you that doesn't feel like that you de- i derive i think for a long time i derived a lot of worthiness from sex and people finding me attractive and I think that's inevitably related to the molestation. Oh, yeah, definitely. We had two brothers, Puerto Rican brothers that my dad adopted from the Bronx that are 15 and 12. So how old were you guys when that happened? Eight. They screwed every girl in the neighborhood. Then they were like doing shit with us. I mean, I learned about sex at seven. Right. And I feel it's because they picked up on the energy of our father. Or they were getting molested by him as well, or maybe by the Um, mother. I feel that our summer nanny picked up on our dad too, in a way. Like, it's almost like people reenact certain things. Like, okay, maybe the predator was inside of them, but it's like if you're in an abusive household and you see someone hitting a dog, then you at that dog and then you're like oh let me just smack it it doesn't matter because that person smacks it too it's like they're picking up on the vibration or the energy of the i don't give a shit let's have sex with minors attitude you know what i'm saying like yeah if you're in that household and that's what your experience is it's like hey my dad is doing this yeah our brothers taught us how to make out french kiss all this bullshit and i was like I told my dad, I'm sick of our brothers making me go downstairs and, and freaking touch their dick. And he was like, what? Like, he saw red. I, and meanwhile, it's like, who, who are you to get mad, Mr. Freaking Hypocrite? Yeah. We jump in this car and we're like driving for hours and we're in a field. And I see the brothers are crying and they're hugging us saying goodbye. And I'm like, where are you going? He just dumps them off in a field. I was like, what? We were in the bathroom at the, it was a rest stop area. I'm pretty sure that there was people picking them up. We just, it was a rest stop area and there was a field there, but I feel like, I'm pretty sure some, someone picked them up. And, and, and it's like, they're gone. We have no more brothers. And I'm like, okay. So when, when, the, when the nanny molested me and, and she was physically abusing you, I told dad then too, and it's like, he didn't care because it was a woman. She wanted to talk to me every night for an hour. And I'd be like, I have nothing to say to you. Like when she would, when she wasn't working as a nanny, she'd want to hang out and talk to me at night. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm off the clock lady. Like I'm not here. You molest me. I'm not here for the emotional molestation too. <laughs> So you guys were both getting molested by different people simultaneously. 
at one point I thought, what am I here on this earth for? Like sexual healing? Like, what am I to heal all the perverts? Like, I just, <laughs> like, <laughs> that feel ugly. Maybe they want to feel pretty. Like, what's up with this? I felt like a sex machine or I felt like a, like a two cent hoe. Like, I didn't understand, like, why was I put on this earth, you know? I mean, at first, I, I, for after a while, I thought that we were adopted. It's almost like, you know, I sat here, I was sitting here thinking, you know, my God, I feel so much more fortunate that, that we weren't sex trafficked. But in actuality, it feels like we were. Mm. I would have been trafficked. At least I would have, like, been around other people. <laughs> yeah, I would have had some variety. <laughs> but it, <laughs> But but in the in the same circle, it was like at least with people that they knew or whatever. But these, like I was sitting here thinking, like those poor kids that are being sex trafficked, having to be with with these disgusting old men that they don't even know, and they're scared for their lives. Oh, I feel so much more fortunate that I was actually in a home with a supposed <laughs> father and mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> How is that fortunate? It was our dad. Like, <laughs> because at least it wasn't a strangers. I'm trying to find the, the crumb of good in our disgusting situation. When we're going through these experiences, we try to find things that make it seem like it's not that bad. It's a survival mechanism. Yeah, I know. It's like we look at other experiences that people are having and we almost feel like guilty for complaining about our own because it's like, well, they have it way worse than us. You know, what, who am I to say that this is bad? It's, we all have such similar tendencies. It's interesting. Yeah, definitely. So uh, you spoke up at 21, Chin He, and then yeah, did this, like, when you guys started talking about this, the, these experiences, were you, like, were you having... Well, uh, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, mind you that at eight years old, I was diagnosed with um, stuttering. I, I mean, I had stuttering, and I, was di and I also have um, autism. Gotcha. I, I'm on the spectrum. So... I was dealing with that shit too. Yeah, just throw that in the mix. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. So oh how did that God. affect you? Like, what a sick fuck targeting the autistic child. And you know what's disgusting about him? He was um a, a big head of the Special Olympics. And we were sitting there wondering, my God, did he, like, take advantage of some of those Special Olympic kids? Yeah, no, like. They loved him too. Like he was like constantly with kids, Special Olympics and, yeah. you know, oh, cause, oh, thank God we hit 15 because we were too old. Like yeah. we weren't considered a kid anymore. No wonder that's how it stopped because we got too old. At his funeral, people are like, oh, your dad was such a great person. How much time passed between when you were 21 and when your adoptive dad died? Um. Like unfortunately our mom died when we were 15 well i actually not unfortunately but she died at 15 <laughs> and then um well how old was he late 80s nine man yeah he got to live i think we were i think it's it was like eight years ago he, he finally passed between 21 and when he passed like what were your lives like were you able when did oh my god I couldn't deal or cope with anything. I was constantly high and I was just a hot mess. And I just, I wasn't present. Let's put it that way. Right. I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, the car's gone. Shouldn't he freaking crashed it? Yeah, I've been in five car accidents. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just a, a total wreck. There, you know what it was is that it was a lot of push and pull. Do we want to make his life hell or, or is it even worth having his energy in our life? It really solidified that she did get molested, that she was his girlfriend because every boyfriend she would have or anyone that was in her life, they'd be gone. I'm like, what did you do to her boyfriends? Oh, what do you mean? And like, he would talk to them and like scare them off. He would make them, he would make them break up with me. He was like a psycho stalking me, had to come up to my college every weekend, had to had to talk to me on the phone every night. He would like constantly send me pictures of like these beautiful Asian women with long hair and be like, oh, my God, you're 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 way more beautiful than she is. That's so bizarre. 
it's wild to see sort of the tendencies evolve, even though you might have aged out physically in terms of what he was attracted to emotionally he you really he still viewed you as his girlfriend and somebody who oh, wanted yeah. to be there for him and wanted to see you on the weekends in college and everything oh yeah because you know at that point i couldn't even work because i was so debilitated and dysfunctional right. and my sister had to work three jobs just to to keep us afloat and you know what's sick sebastian is that i continued to stay in touch with him because i felt bad for him and it's like, yeah. I would continue to like, you know, be the daughter because I felt bad for him. Yeah. It's, it's it so disgusting. wild. In addition to the guilt that we feel we're putting on other people by talking about this and, and ourselves, that we the guilt we put on ourselves, we even feel guilty for the people that are abusing us. I remember not wanting the guy who molested <laughs> me to be mad at me. I knew that he would be mad at me if I spoke up. We are exposed to these things that warp our thinking in ways that take you know a long time to rewire and to heal from yeah. it's like these i feel like especially when we get older and we're like well i was a kid so like i guess i was acting crazy but when we get into this old like when we get older we we i feel like we blame ourselves even more for not acting differently but in reality it's like we're just doing the best we can in these experiences and until you start healing all of the actions that you're doing it's like it's it's pretty reasonable that's what I wanted. That the, the the real healing began because I was doing nothing but numbing myself up till 21. The mm-hmm. real healing begins when you're actually in a relationship, being intimate with someone. You're having flashbacks and triggers. Oh, my God. That's when the, the real healing begins. It's almost like it's just unbelievable how the process that you have to go through just to even heal from that shit. Yeah. I don't know what you had to go through, but. The fact is, like me, I mean, there were so many different scenarios. Like I couldn't even take a shower or a bath with my partner mm-hmm. because so so I wouldn't get triggered. And it was like I was so controlling with the sex because I was like trying to control myself and trying to control the triggers. Like anything. And what's weird is that these people would trigger me so badly, maybe say some of the same things that my dad would be like, like if anyone would say, I love you during sex it would just kind of like it would set me off because that's what he would say to me so anytime any of my partners would be intimate and during intimacy saying i love you i would be raged enraged tough phrase to be triggered by that was what (laughs) was triggered i was a big trigger for me and like for me to have to like stop myself in my tracks and wondering why i'm taking my shit out on this person that just said i love you Mm-hmm. Like, I have a serious problem. I need to like really get a grip and get a grip on my triggers. And I had to like literally apologize to every single woman that I had dated or been with and apologize for taking my shit out on them. But but that's the key, though. Like, but that's but the awareness like you have to bring awareness into these triggers, the things that make you feel those extreme emotions and like panic and anxiety, all of these things that come up from childhood or recent things like when we can. It, it's hard to heal from something that you're not aware of, that you're not aware that, you, that this could be the cause of what it is. But the fact that you're like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm freaking out at this person who just said they love me. That's, you know, not a not a normal reaction to I love you. So there's something going on inside of me that's causing this to happen, which is, you know, an amazing step to take in the healing process. Well, the, the fact that I would be like disgusted that they were telling me they love me and take and be like, no, fuck you and <laughs> treat them like shit after they told me they love me was just unbelievable. And I literally had to take time to apologize to everyone and then go figure out why I was doing that. And then everything clicked, but that's where the real healing begins is when you're triggered to look at yourself and to go back to that shit and to relive it. Okay. That is so true. And was a huge like step for me in all of this healing was treating triggers as opportunities rather than something that needs to be buried. Yeah. I mean, they're literally showing you the things that you ha- are, that you need to heal. 
And it's also like a perspective shift because you're able when if you're not afraid of being triggered, you uh, you don't resist these experiences as much. And you actually can look at the situation more objectively rather than being like, I just don't want to feel this way anymore. Let me just do something differently or freak out at somebody or whatever the thing is. But that that shift in perspective of triggers, I think, is extremely helpful. Yeah, I mean, it was like crazy because every time I would get into a relationship, I'd be like, nope, we're not taking showers together. I'm not going in the bath with you. Don't even mm-hmm. think about it. And I would be like this, this big control freak. And I'd be like, nope, we're not having sex more than five times a week. And I'm like, nope, you can't go. You can't do this. You can't do that. And they'd be like, well, what the hell can I do? <laughs> I don't know what you can do. <laughs> I would be like, if they didn't give me sex, I think they wouldn't love me. And I'd be like, I'd be pissed off. <laughs> Wait, that's exactly how I feel. That's what I mean about the validation yeah. from sex. You start thinking to yourself like, like, okay, how much you ha- want to have sex with me is directly related to how much you actually love me. So yeah. it's like, when we don't even give them the opportunity to just like be wanting to do something else or just, they have their own experiences that perhaps in this particular moment, they might not want to have sex, but we internalize it and say, this is because you hate me now. How do I fix this situation? Or they're tired, like, hello, yeah. people are tired. Like, that is a legit reason. But like, <laughs> I can be like, I don't care. I want sex. Like, I want it now. <laughs> well, what's crazy is that the opposites attract. Like I was like, I don't give a shit about sex. I could be in bed with like five hot supermodels and I wouldn't even touch them. I was a whore. Yeah. You were like promiscuous. You <laughs> turned out promiscuous and I turned out like Virgin Mary. Interesting. Um, I went like, there was one point I went three years without sex and when I finally did have sex again, I, it's like I was never very sexual, honestly. I, it's like I, I would have rather read a book or play a, play a video game because I was just so turned off by it. I wonder how the differences in your guys' molestation experiences dictated your, like trajectories of sexual interests you know you seem to have this like extreme deterrent from sex chinhi and sunhi yours seems to be more it focused on having it uh for validation or whatever the reason is and i'm curious what were your what were your molestation experiences like with that babysitter oh my god um i was emotionally attached to her because the bitch wanted to talk to me every night and chat and cuddle you know what i mean So, like, I would be emotional with women, and I could never hurt them. But when it came to guys, I didn't want to cuddle with them. And I would be like, once the deed was done, I'd get up and go take a shower, and I'd be like, oh, please, don't. this this is not personal. I'm just really clean. Mm -hmm. Scrubbing off their energy off of me. (laughs) This is not personal. It's such a classic, like, survivor statement. We need that for, like, all of our situations. It's not that I don't want you to love me. It's not personal, I swear. Yeah. That's what my dad did to me. It was like, wham, bam, goodbye. So I was reenacting it with with my relationships. I had no respect for guys in a way. I just used them, honestly. Mm hmm. Oh, I'm sure they didn't have any problem with you using them. (laughs) (laughs) If I'd have cuddled with them, that's an extension of a connection, right? Totally. Sex is connecting. Talking on the phone is connecting. I could do those two things. But when it came to cuddling, I couldn't sit still. I had to get the F out of there. Yeah, we're very similar in that way. Because I actually find sleeping together literally to be sometimes more intimate than sleeping together figuratively, like having sex. Like Mm -hmm. if I have sex with somebody, it's almost like, whoa, like, you know, I I don't know if I want to sleep over with you before we've had sex. It's like a very, it's, I I don't know. It's, it's interesting how we've developed like that. Exactly. It's really intimate. We're all just trying to make sense of what happened to us, you know, and like, (laughs) here we are. That's what you get when you get drugged with Benadryl and you don't remember or don't even know what the hell happened to you. But you see your pajama bottoms off every day. It's like, what right. the hell? <laughs> my pajama <laughs> bottoms are gone. And I'm like, hello? Like, I thought my sister was, like, playing a joke on me. Like, it's, like, freezing. Freezing. Yeah, I, I didn't take those off. Like, what just, yeah, what happened here? It's crazy. Yeah, that's bullshit. 
so you guys are going through these experiences. You've spoken up and you're talking about it and, you know, trying to make sense of what happened, going through life, trying to escape this dimension in some in some states, you know, trying to oh, yeah. survive, basically. Um, how did you so, get... Go ahead. While we're trying to survive and I'm trying to get a hold of my stuttering and my autism and dealing with flashbacks and triggers, it just feels like every year there's always some massive learning and, and, and panic attacks or us sitting in the freaking hospital parking lot waiting. Are we going to die? Nah, we're okay. You know, it's like mm. medicine after medicine, trying out things. And it's like, finally we made good money. We were very successful, always making money. It's just, we were never happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We've had Mercedes convertible. We've had Lexus convertible. We had a million dollars. We were millionaires and we were miserable. Yeah. Well, that million dollars was our father's. So it was like we ended up giving away like $500,000 in cash to all the, the the maids that worked in the hotels because we were traveling, we were staying everywhere. We gave it to all our money and all of our um, properties to people that were poor. Psychometry yeah. is where you pick up um, empathy on an object. And every time we'd pull out money out of the bank, we would order something and the shit would break. Or we would buy something and it would be like messed up. It was up. bad juju. And we're like. So that's, you think that's because it was your adoptive dad's money? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I started giving it away. I'd be on my balcony going, yo. And these people would be like, yeah. And I'd be like, do you want a laptop and a TV and a, and a, and a and, um, phones and stuff? And they're like, huh? And I'm like, don't worry. You don't have to sleep with me. <laughs> in and fact then, i don't want you to yeah <laughs> no that would be me sebastian right <laughs> she would Judy's like come on up yeah you'd have like you'd have like maids fucking lined up after done working in our hotel and we'd have a bunch of fur clothes and clothing and they're like picking them all out and leaving well what's what's crazy is that as soon as we touched that money it was like we were in, it was like constantly feeling the darkness of that pedophile, the right. darkness, the, the memories of him, like the darkness, the dark energies, who he had like so many dark entities attached to him. If you saw his house before he passed, he should have been the star of hoarders. It was disgusting. His house, it took us two months to clean out that house. My sister gave the, his condo in Myrtle Beach away to this guy for $5,000. Because that's how bad we wanted to disconnect from his energy. Picking up energies on that pedophile's money was were almost just as bad as as dealing with him when he was alive. Well, it's it's tying you back to the experiences. At a certain point, it's like they know, they go, "We know you're grieving, but damn, I would go run to get that money." And I'm like, "Sorry, I just don't care right now. I just can't." And you know what? You know what's funny, Sebastian? As soon as we got rid of all of his money, and we were like broke we were sitting in our one bedroom apartment and we were broke but we had not what his we didn't have his energies on us anymore and we were like back to laughing and smiling i totally believe it i mean i'm thinking to myself like if if by some wild accident or or like maybe if i took the guy to who molested me to civil trial and somehow i like wound up with his house i certainly wouldn't go like hang out there or like want to own it you know like i i think it makes a lot of sense to like not want to be associated with the person and if they're tied energetically to to money or whatever it is i get it what was it like for you guys after he died like how did you feel free What's messed up is that because our mom died and then because we didn't even have we didn't even have um, connection contact with our birth parents, our Korean parents. And it's like it was just like me and my sister. And that was it. And it was like I felt like I couldn't breathe because it's like I felt like we had no one left now, even though he was a pedophile, disgusting piece of shit. It was like just having just knowing that we had a father. Yeah, at least was like what I was like accepting of when you feel that disconnection completely of like, oh, my God, we don't even have a father now anymore, even though he was a piece of shit. It's like it's almost like I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like I was like we were all alone now, no matter how 
shitty a person was to you it's like death has a new perspective on that person and especially when it's like okay yeah it's like it's your adoptive dad it's i can understand why it would be a, a weird feeling accompanied by feelings of relief and like hey i'm safe he can't hurt me anymore at the same time yeah. like whoa you know that what that person was uh, in my life a lot and they won't be ever again if the guy who molested me ever dies i'll have to give you guys a call did um no. did you guys ever go ahead what feel free. I honestly feel like I do already. I mean, who knows, right? Like I, I, I he's alive. So I, I imagine I'll definitely feel something uh, when he dies. But I, I do feel like it's different because he wasn't in my life after, totally. you know, high school, basically. But um, yeah, I wonder I wonder if I will feel differently. Did you ever connect with your biological parents? We did. That was a shit show. Really? She was uh, lying. Uh, so we had this Korean woman Dude, in New York City. Podcast. <laughs> huh? It's a whole other podcast. That you can't yeah. say it really? in sentences. We went to go. We, we found out we had an aunt in Philadelphia. So we went. Some, a Korean woman found her for us. And so we went to go see her and um, ended, up, ended up being our, our mother. Whoa. Yeah. How did that feel? Oh, I mean, we're like lie detectors. She was lying the whole time. She even lied about speaking per good English. She spoke perfect English, and she was had like this Asian accent. I was like, this bitch is an actress. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like. Was she like going after the the money that you guys had inherited or something? No, not no. at all. We were coming for money, and we're like, no, we want to see someone that looks like us. As soon as you went went walked away to go have a cigarette with her, they walked exactly the same way. They both sat down exactly the same way, and they both smoked their cigarette just like each other. And I just went, what the hell? That was the moment that I knew this is not my aunt. This is our mother. You're going to trip out when we tell you who she is. Who is she? <laughs> an actress, celebrity. Oh, oh, okay. Do you, we can keep it off the off the for sure. No worries. Well, I I also wanted to ask you guys. You know, part of part of the reason I was so drawn to your content um, was because you both talk a lot about forgiveness, and you talk about forgiving. You know, lots of people in your life, people who have wronged you. What has that process of forgiveness been like for the two of you? Oh, uh, well, if I didn't for like the the anger and the pain that you carry it just makes you for sick. so many years literally makes you sick. I mean, it literally affected my nervous system uh, to the point where I was having seizures. I was having, um, you know, it just really took a toll on my nervous system mm -hmm. and harboring anger and pain is like a disease. It like literally kills you emo mentally, emotionally, physically. And it was either I'm going to kill this bastard or I'm going to forgive him. And I finally got to that point because if I stayed in that, that rage, I would have probably either killed him and, and I just couldn't do that. I had to, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm too light for that. It's hard to heal and not be angry if you're not doing things to apply things to your life, like taking care of yourself, working out or mm -hmm you know, eating healthier. If you're sitting on the couch depressed and you're not leaving the house, you're, you're drinking sodas and you're not doing, you know, things that make you feel good, you're going to stay angry. So in a way, like you have to do some work. You can't just always say, let me be depressed. You got to feel it too, but you can't be, you cannot live in it and, and absorb it to the point where you start getting stomach issues or you start getting panic attacks. Like, yeah do some work to, in order to not be a victim anymore. I, I wonder why some people have so many hardships, but yet they act normal and they come out of it really well. Hmm. It has something to do with some past life shit. Like, yeah. I'm not sure, but I've, I've been feeling like with regards to past lives and things, I, you know, I, I guess it just, for me, it just seems way crazier that we exist at all than like the fact that we could have existed before. Like this iteration seems like way more wild than like more iterations. 
So I think all of that stuff is honestly possible. We already like don't know how we got here. So like surely we could know not know how we got here again, like more. <laughs> you, know? you might have been a dog. I might have been a cat. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's why we feel familiar. Maybe we were each other's pets or something. I don't know. Who knows? You know, but happy to be here with you guys now. Um, but you know what I think also, um, Sebastian, is that us light people, that the, the forgiveness is like very easy for us because we're so loving. We're so unconditionally loving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah you abused the shit out of me, ruined my life. And but yeah, I can still love you. Like, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Isn't yeah. It, you think about it. It's insane. Forgiveness is really for us. It's for the person yeah. that is doing the forgiving. Because if you don't do that, then generally you'll carry around the negative emotions that you guys are talking about. And, you know, yeah. if you feel like you want to murder somebody, that doesn't feel good inside. No. And even <laughs> when you go to do it, if you were to do it and be successful, it's like you're not going to now be filled with love. <laughs> like it's, it's something that you provide for yourself and you cultivate within yourself. And one of the best ways to do that is by forgiving the people that have wronged you and like literally become lighter by letting go of these things that you've been carrying um so i think that's i think that's awesome and um i think um i think it's also in from a spiritual perspective is taking the empathy off all the dark the dark energies that we've been subjected to and transmuting absorbing. yeah it's like we have to get it off of us to get back ourselves yeah well, that sort of leads into my last question here that I have for you too. And, you know, you, you both have done a, clearly an immense amount of healing. And I just want to know what advice would you guys give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point where you're at now? I will. I, my goal is by posting and sharing my story is to show people. And I want, and I'm also like intertwining the spiritual gifts because you can heal yourself just by being aware of the fact that you're so empathic. And like I said, all those negative emotions and feelings that us victims and survivors have about ourselves, it's not even ours. It's our, it's our empathy picking up on our abusers and absorbing them. And I wish that I had someone tell me that because it would have certainly helped me immensely. But I want to teach the victims out there to not destroy themselves and to not be so hard on themselves so they can get, they can, they can um, accelerate their healing process. I think the bottom line is, is that if you're going through like flashbacks or you block something out or, you know, you have to, and if you keep running yourself ragged and something like makes you stop and get sick, then you got to realize you haven't healed from something. If you're trying to avoid you know, enjoying life, that means something has to come out of you, right? So, or if you're not and you're messed up and depressed and having anxiety all the time, you have to be around positive people and you have to talk about it. If you don't talk about it, it's like toxins, like they're sitting in your spirit. You're just kind of polluting your spirit. And so you're attracting other polluted spirits. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, you want to be around people who genuinely care and love you um, or go to therapy or try to use all the tools possible. And if you don't have money, try to do whatever free stuff is out there. But the bottom line is, I think for sensitive people, we have to be around genuine people that have no motive. They're not using and abusing us. You have to be given love and love is what heals people, bottom line. And if you're not surrounded by that, it's harder to deal with it. And then, you know, it just, it's just harder. Totally. One of the messages that you both gave was just to talk about it, to find a way yeah. to express what and, and process what has happened to you, whether that's sharing on social media or sharing with a therapist or sharing with friends or talking to yourself about it. Like looking at these experiences, writing it down. Exactly. Facing the truth of what happened to you, knowing that you can heal from whatever it is that you went through and, and knowing that burying it is just making things worse for you and literally causing you to be physically sick oftentimes. So yeah, talking about it in, is, is one of the best
best things that we can do. And I'm just so grateful to have been able to talk with both of you about this today. And uh, I really appreciate your time. And where can people find you guys on social media? So I'm at Chinhee Park on TikTok and Instagram. That's C-H-I-N-H-E-E. P-A-R-K. Mine is Soon Heat Park 1111 on TikTok. And then what's my Instagram? Soon Heat Park 49? Yeah. Perfect. Sebastian, my followers are asking me how to get, find you. Sebastian Scales, right? Yep, Sebastian Scales uh, on every platform. S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N, Scales Like a Fish. And uh, I will <laughs> pop up. <laughs> Guys, thank really. This was it was such a pleasure chatting with both of you, and I know this has been a long time in the work. So I really am, am grateful that we finally got to do it. And thank you so much, sweetie. It was a total pleasure hanging with you. We're so glad you healed too. Hey, it's still in the process, you know, but certainly working on it. It's an ongoing thing, and uh, it just it makes it easier to be able to talk with people that like know what you mean and know how you feel. It's like anytime Definitely. you can do that, you just feel less alone. Anytime you need anytime you need to talk, we're here for you, okay? Hey, right back at you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, sweetie. Wait, I'm sorry, what was that, Suni? Totally emanate love and good energy. So as you heal and do your rate your podcast, it will heal you. For sure. I feel it right now. You can feel it just like in every conversation. It's an immediate thing, you know? So thank you guys for you know, we're all just out here healing together. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.